Hey on the call listeners, this is Jeremy Neff, and I'm here with my colleague Pam Leist. We'll get to the episode soon, but we want to share a quick announcement first. Jeremy and I are excited to share that we will once again be speaking at the LRP National Institute, this time in Savannah, Georgia, on May 5th through the 8th. Conference is really a fantastic opportunity for school education professionals like yourselves to come together and share insights and knowledge. Jeremy and I are honored to be speaking at the National Conference for the third year in a row. My session is Can You Keep a Secret? Navigating Confidentiality under IDEA 504 and FERPA. I'll be sharing practical tips for keeping your teams compliant with these laws. After leading a session for school attorneys on lessons learned from COVID, my topic for the National Institute is successfully mapping the exit from IDEA services. I'll discuss the different ways a student ends eligibility and how to ensure that's a successful transition. These sessions promise to be insightful and practical as always, and we always offer actionable takeaways you can implement in your schools. If you want to learn more about the National Institute, you can find a link in the show notes for the newest on-the-call episode or go to lrpinstitute.com. Pam and I hope to see you there in Savannah. Until then, enjoy this episode of On the Call. Ennis Britton, how can I help you? Hi, Jeremy. We got a really difficult situation. Can we talk it through? Oh, yeah, of course. What's going on? Well, we've got a kid with severe behaviors. Thankfully, the parents recognize this, and the team agreed to placement a private program toward the beginning of the school year. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the behaviors have continued, and some have become sexual in nature. Mm-hmm. Now, the private program is kicking him out. If he's not safe there, he's certainly not safe in the regular school setting. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't bring him back. Besides, doesn't stay put requires to keep him in the private program. Oh, uh, so this is a difficult situation. But I, I think we can avoid that stay put issue with a combination of a good short-term plan for some services and then a longer-term plan for addressing the placement issue. Let's talk this through. Welcome to Season 2 of On the Call, Ennis Britton's special education law podcast. I'm Erin Wessendorf-Wortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. So these are tough calls because, you know, student safety is the number one priority. And we really don't care at the end of the day. Like, you can throw a lot of laws at a school. But if they're looking at this saying, like, someone's going to be hurt, um, you know, in a very serious way, I don't know. They're not all that interested in hearing what black letter law has to say no, about it. No, and those are one of those moments where uh, one of the, the, I guess, the most senior attorney in our firm would sit back and I think as a response to the black letter law say, so what? Mm-hmm. Look for the safety. Look for what's necessary for the health, safety, welfare, protection of student staff, all of that. And so what to the black letter law, which yeah. is one of my most favorite visuals to have yes. when we do this. But I still think it's out there. And just because we say, so what to the black letter law does not mean it doesn't apply. And it does not mean we get to wash our hands of our obligations to at least have good faith efforts and a right direction to have attempts to educate children. Yeah. And anytime we're talking about something as significant as a residential placement or really outplacements in general, we're almost certainly talking about a child who's eligible under IDEA. So really, we're not going to talk too much about 504. For what it's worth, um, there's not an explicit stay put requirement, which is going to be a big theme of today's episode. There's not an explicit 504 stay put requirement, although um, 
one of our favorite, um, let's say, uh, serial inquiry senders in the special ed world (laughs) um, sent a letter to um, the feds asking, hey, you know, there's not one, there's no state put in 504, right? And they said, well, no, actually, you know, we think there is. It's implicit. Mm. I don't know. I don't buy that. But I really don't think it's just going to come up that much when we're talking about outplacement, which is today's episode. So really, it comes down to two things, LRE and stay put. So tell us about LRE. I know we've had a prior episode on this, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. My brain is a little wonky today. We have had a prior episode about this, and LRE is really where we're required to educate students in their least restrictive environment, preferably in a general education environment with typical peers, unless and until, and I know we've had other pods, that really we have evidence to show that they would get a better service, right? They would have more academic progress or progress in those academics and in the areas of their need if we pull them out, push them out into other realms of service. Yeah. And so whenever we're somewhere on that continuum, which in in all the cases that are going to relate to today's theme, so an outplaced child and then losing that option, losing that seat, um, presumably there's been agreement. Uh, that we need to move. So the family and the school team have been on the same page of moving on that continuum. And we only bring it up here. Not The main focus is stay put. Mm-hmm. We bring it up here because anytime you lose a seat, I suppose it's a good time to at least pause and consider, should we talk again about where we are on the continuum of placements? Or uh, even better, before you lose a seat, you might be having a conversation about, hey, do we need to talk about how this child's being served? And I know we've had pods in the past to talk about how we go sort of more restrictive. This case, or at least in this pod, we're talking about we're already probably more restrictive. What happens in those moments similar to the caller or similar to the case when maybe the the placement is no longer available? Mm-hmm. But I do think in looking at the placement options, it is an annual discussion. We can't gloss over that LRE discussion annually and just be like, hey, it's working. No big deal. We have to look at it and say – annually, is it working? What's the data? Do we need to move right or left on the continuum? Why right or left isn't appropriate? Why staying there is where we need to be? But I think when you look at state put, really state put is when the LEA, the Local Education Association, is trying to change the agency, sorry, whatever. It's an A word, and I was going to refer to you as the same. Um, oh, wow. I didn't actually say it. And you didn't it. use it. I, well, we're going to break that streak one I of these days. I should have a gold star for that. I'm you should. just saying. If I had one, I would throw it at you. I, par for the course. But local educational association agency. Agency. <laughs> Still not getting it. It's fine. We're going to go with the school district. LA. School district. Stay put is when the school district is trying to change a placement during the pendency of a due process that we we hold firm in what's happening at the moment. And that's really when stay put applies. I know we look at it in other instances. We go, oh, it is stay put. It's when there is a due process filing and when the local educational agency, haha, is attempting to alter the educational placement of the student. And this is pretty fundamental, right? Yeah. That this applies. It's automatic. A parent doesn't have to use magic words for it. We don't need a court order. We don't need a hearing officer to say it. The Supreme Court has even looked at this and said, look, this requirement is unequivocal. That's a heavy word for the highest court in the land to use. So we have this unequivocal requirement to maintain 
stay put, maintain the educational placement of that child, which is why I really love this case that we're going to make the the switch over to here. But you know, bef- before we get there, talk a little bit more about black letter law. So uh, as you mentioned, stay put applies when we have a due process complaint filed. Um, there's nothing uh, that says it applies if there's some sort of informal complaint or dispute or something like that. It's a bit unsettled um, what would happen during the midst of a discipline process, which we have plenty of podcast episodes about um, discipline and manifestations. The law is a little unsettled there. Uh, so really, you're going to want to consult your counsel to understand how it seems to play out in where your district is. Um, and and state put applies to the district offering services. It doesn't limit the parents from seeking something different, right? It doesn't. And I think that that can be a little bit of a hard pill to swallow. Well, no, we're still offering this. We, we shouldn't be responsible for you know, whatever the parents are going out to do as a school district if stay put applies during a fight. Well, the parents can choose to do what the parents want to do. You are obligated to maintain that student's educational placement and services during the pendency of any administrative dispute. Now, you could have an agreement with the parents where you say, listen, clearly what we're doing isn't right. We, we don't agree with what you want. So let's agree in the middle to have this as our wonky hold while a dispute plays out. That's perfectly acceptable. And the regs have said that. And I think we can't miss what the congressional intent was in this. And the congressional intent was to ensure that uninterrupted continuity of education. And they've said that very clearly in their notes to this with the court, the U.S. Supreme Court, you said, indicating this unequivocal nature to it. Well, that's great. It's to make sure that schools, the governmental entities here, can't do anything willy-nilly if there is a fight happening. You have to maintain it because at the end of the day, we are always focused on the student. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's such a beautiful segue to the case. And I'm going to like ignore that. Sorry. Uh, what? It, you can't see Erin's patting herself oh, on the back. It was, it was a great setup. But I, before we get there, I do want to discuss. It's like two setups really in a row. This is you. this. You have disgusted me. Two beautiful setups to go to a case. And you're like, nope, not taking it yet. You let me know when everyone, you're ready to talk about the case. Everyone who's listening, just like rewind, you know, <laughs> when I'm done with this and go back to where she was. Then fast forward to when yes. we talk about the case. Well, I, I just want to address this concept of an agreement and changing placement and stay put by agreement when there's a dispute. There's another side to that, which is uh, if a whatever your state's final hearing officer level, some states have a two-tier level, so you have a, like some sort of review, but whatever that final agency level review is, if a placement change is ordered by that hearing officer and it's what the parent wanted – that will be considered an agreement to change the child's placement while the complaint moves forward. I know. It, yeah, it's Aaron's nitty gritty. That's no. nitty gritty. It's nitty gritty, but it's pretty darn important because if the parent says, I want my kid in this outplacement, maybe the school wants the kid in school, um, and the parent wins that at the state level review, then as that plays out in court, which can take a long time, that's where they are. you're implementing what the parent wanted and what was ordered by the hearing officer. So just be aware that's considered an agreement between the SEA. 
and the parents. All right. So now rewind back to that beautiful segue Aaron already gave us. Congressional intent. Two. Two. Two of them. And fast forward to the case. So this case we have here is out of August of 2023 in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And this is a COVID era case. And I think that is relevant to how things played out. We have to fill in a lot of facts, but the basic question was we had a kid who was outplaced and unilaterally removed by that private residential facility, and the school is not really left with a lot of options. The parents weren't left with options, and the question was, does stay put apply? There were a few questions, but that's one we're going to I think there about. were a few questions, and to me, when I read the case, it is not clear why the residential facility said, student, you are no longer welcome here. That was a little concerning to me. Yeah, we can imagine probably. Probably a lot of reasons, right? Dangerous, maybe sexual, maybe violent. Who knows, right? It's not. And it was in fall of 2021. And go back in time. All of a sudden, there were lines waiting to get into these facilities that in the past, we counted on wanting our money as public schools. Now they got people waiting. It's true. And they don't have to. I mean, if this student was a lot, who knows? Maybe they very well were said, listen, that kid on the line is easier than this kid. We don't want to deal with this kid. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was a private facility that that the district was contracting with. And at that point, from at least what I recalled in reading the case, no one would take the student. Yep. Yeah. And when you say no one, like no how, one, no one. 19 uh, uh, outplacements that were identified by the district and none of them, they had various reasons that, you know, it felt like me seeking a date for like homecoming <laughs> or something. You're going oh, back to gosh. homecoming or you're going to college? Uh, yeah, Either I one. don't know. <laughs> all of the above. All of the above. Um, but no, there were various reasons, you know, like, oh, we're at capacity. Oh, we don't think we're appropriate for this job. We don't have the services in place. I'm going to be washing my hair that night. I mean, it's just like <laughs> all of them. Just a flat no. Yeah. Some of them even said we didn't accept out-of-state referrals, which seems strange to me. Maybe because... COVID again, though. That's tricky, right? I mean, mm. people are having a hard time figuring out how to make stuff work. I view that as we're going to fill our seats internal before we go external. Yeah, could I be. mean, either way, what I loved here was – the background of facts from the school saying we worked at 19 other facilities who all rejected this student and in the interim they had tried to provide services virtually or on home instruction they had attempted to serve the student in other capacities knowing that the quote-unquote stay put that was written into the IEP was a residential facility and just plain wasn't available they even said uh, this surprised me. Bring your kid into one of our facilities for some of those services at your option, parent. I mean, they really showed a lot of good faith here. And I think that's what helped persuade the court, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, the court acknowledged LRE is a residential facility and you are not fulfilling that school district. But the court also said, but doggone, you tried awfully hard. And it's not you that is trying to change things. And this, I, I don't, we don't often directly quote courts, but it said, we hold that the stay put provision is inapplicable because the residential component of the student's IEP became unavailable for reasons outside of the district's control. So if we go Whoa. back to the two-factor test, right, you have that administrative level and then you have the school making the change. And what the court's here saying, I mean, very clear, the school isn't making the change. The school would have happily kept supporting the residential facility and that the location of that placement, which is the residential facility, but it was an impossibility for them to do. Yep. And I love that for Absolutely. this school. Yeah, the, the, the court acknowledged the public policy that you mm-hmm. referred to earlier. Like this is serving the public policy of protecting parents and students from unilateral 
district actions. That's not what happened here. So yeah, I think this is a really reasonable outcome. And you know, good news for our friends. You know, DC Circuit's got a pretty limited jurisdiction, but the court acknowledged that this is something they drew on and felt that they were aligning with the fourth, fifth, sixth, and ninth circuits in making this decision. So pretty broad level that this would apply. Um, now there is some caution here, though, right? Um, so even though the court wasn't going to issue a stay-put order because it really didn't serve the public policy of continuity of education and protecting from the district's unilateral actions, the court did say, hey, look, parent, you're not without relief. You can seek some sort of other injunction. Now, what that might be, who knows, but if you find something. I mean, yeah. would it be against the residential facility to take the student back? I mean, the, the school has an impossibility. It does The placement does not exist. What would you like us to do? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's something. There's, there's yes. the world, but then maybe more realistically, the court said. And the other thing is, seek compensatory education, or if you find something else that works, reimbursement. So parents could proceed with their complaint, and you know, this district may well have said, "Look, we'll make this right later. We just can't now." Which maybe. And I think the good faith efforts of the lessons that I take away from this in looking at that and looking more towards practical tips are the district had that good faith ability of saying, here's everybody we contacted. Here's all the things we tried to do while the student was, I mean, essentially home, right, for lack of any other information. We tried to do virtual. We tried to do home instruction. We offered services to come in for our school for various pieces. We know it's not what's in the IEP, But that's not because we aren't trying our very level set best. I love when I read cases and I go, oh, you can read good faith effort all over it, right? And those are moments where I say, fantastic. And the 19 attempts means the district knows what are the options that are out there. It sounds like they were willing to pursue anything and everything, right? What do the parents want? Bring us options. They were going out of state. They were going, who knows, to the mountain ranges to find the random right. wilderness lodges mm-hmm. that they could could go for options. Those pieces and the communication to those outside placements I loved seeing as a lesson from this case. Yeah, and and building on that, we didn't get into this part of the facts of the case, but the residential facility had the decency to give a heads up. They didn't give really a reason and they didn't consult, but they said this is going to take effect, and I want to say it was like November 1st. And it, it allowed a couple of weeks and the school immediately began looking at this. They did not rest on that information. So theoretically, had they found something, it would have been a somewhat seamless transition, which is another part of that good faith you were just talking about. Well, and maintaining the the good relationships and the communications with those outside providers. I know Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard. They are as overworked as school districts are, and and there are lines and lines and wait lists. But having the relationships to say, hey, we have this situation. What is your wait list right now? Where do you think you're at? What is the likelihood of this student moving in or out that can get you a better understanding for what a student needs? But then it's not just once the student is there, maintaining the relationship while they're enrolled, making sure they're at the IEP team meeting so they understand what you need and you understand what they need. It sounds like that was somewhat happening here, though the district didn't know why the kid was kicked out, at least not clear from the facts. They were given that pre-warning, which to me means you have a good relationship because we're we're letting you know not the day before that this is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think along those lines with that um, – good relationship and, uh, you know, keeping that information, being then flexible with what you do with that information. So uh, in the Black Letter Law section, we talked a little bit about 
um, what it might mean to change a student's LRE and consider where you should be on that continuum, use that information in real time before the emergency hits. And that way, um, I think of it, it's almost analogous to the Fed, which whenever this is published, they'll be in the news, um, hmm. but uh, adjusting the interest rates. And there for the longest time, the interest rates were near zero, which gave very few tools to the Fed to adjust from. And, and similarly, if we're not constantly thinking about placement, it, it leaves us stuck here for this district at a really extremely restrictive placement where they didn't have the next most restrictive thing to do. Whereas if you've got a kid in a place like this and you're like, you know what, things seem to be stabilized, maybe we can look at something less restrictive, that leaves open then possibilities to move in either direction instead of being stuck at the end of your rope. Correct. How is that mixing up analogy? End of your rope and interest rates? I, I don't know. We went to the feds and interest. It's a lot. You got a lot going on here, and we are not NPR. So back up, back into our realm All of right, schools, education, special education services. I do think that having a good handle on not just, hey, what's on this continuum, but it sounds like this school had services that were available or people they were willing that – the school was willing and the people were willing to deploy in that interim. Sometimes I think we get in that moment where we go, oh, well, I'll have to find a home instructor. I'll have to find a virtual instructor. And then it's three weeks until you find someone that will do it or you know very well no one will do this. Having that cultivated group of people who are ready to go ahead and serve kids like this in a situation where the residential facility is like, I'm out, I can't do this anymore, that are ready, willing, and able to step up to help. I mean, it's clear. It's a patchwork. We know that. It sounds from this case that they had – the student needed residential facility as the placement, which is great. Needed to find the appropriate one for the student, but we were able to – the school district, not we, uh, sounded like they were – able to band-aid it mm -hmm. and they had band-aids ready which i think is and i'm gonna go for all the analogies oh, yeah. right but i do yeah. like it we had yeah. band-aids ready if we got to go to the store for band-aids we're not cultivating our, our our what if situation right our emergency drawer and, and i think sometimes that can be symptomatic not having the what if ready it can be symptomatic of the incredible cost that some of these outplacements are and as a district you might think i'm spending six figures that's their problem newsflash it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. No, it's That's not. not how idea works. So uh, do keep that in mind as, as you work through this. So let's let's go back to our caller. So clearly a really serious situation, especially anytime you're talking about like sexually aggressive behaviors. That's going to cause a lot of alarms in the district. And part of this is a practical advice of uh, needing to decide what risks you're willing to take. Uh, your legal counsel can give you the black letter law. Uh, it's also worth exploring as a district. If we think it realistically, somebody's going to be killed. We think somebody's going to be a violent sexual crime victim. You might be willing to face some risks under idea. So that's kind of separate and apart from the legal side of this. Quick, you know, moving back to the the legal side of it, I think really key is just quickly moving to offer something when this happens. Child's kicked out. Do something, even if it's not perfect, even if it's not something the parents agree to, and document that. And starting down that road of good faith efforts is going to get you a long way toward a productive, successful resolution. Thank you for tuning in to On the Call. 
If you have found value in our discussion and think your educator colleagues would as well, please share this podcast through text, word of mouth, staff meetings, chats in the teacher's lounge. Your support is what drives this podcast. We work to bring real life situations and practical tips to each episode. If you have a topic you would like to suggest or want to share your thoughts, please connect with us on social media or email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. We are looking forward to being on the call with you again soon.